0: You ever notice how peace is so elusive? Like you get glimpses of it and then it just like goes right through your fingertips. Like even this, this wasn't set up for this purpose, but might as well use it. Um, It's supposed to be like a little scene of peace, a peaceful scene. But even something like this, I'm sitting here, I I love doing this around Christmas, by the way. Get get the Christmas lights on, make sure you have a candle not lit. That's perfect actually for me. And and then get a, a nice mug of Mountain Dew and grab my Bible, and <laughs> you think I'm joking, and um, <laughs> you get my, get my Bible, spend some time with Jesus, and then what inevitably happens? I have a two-year-old. Here's what happens. They come running in, probably tackle me, and it's all over, you know, things. It, it just it goes right through our fingertips. Peace, right? You get these glimpses of it, but then it's gone. Think of even like a honeymoon, right? Most people's honeymoon story that I talk to, for the most part, is all right. But then turn south real fast because you realize, oh, we're with each other 24-7 now. Some things start to get stirred. Some things, some motions start to fly. So um, things like that. Think of even like vacation. You go on a vacation and you're like, sweet, this is awesome. I'm getting a break. And then your car breaks down. Something inevitably happens. You plan and plan and plan. No matter how much you plan, something goes wrong. It just happens. Or I was talking to recently a couple in our church who just became empty nesters, right? They're, they're out. We're going to get peace, you know? And then, well, both of their parents now are not doing well, and they're having to take care of them. So you just you, you think you're going to get it. You get glimpses of it, and then it's just gone. We're going to see in the Christmas story today, if you want to start turning to Matthew 1, um, we're going to be looking at Matthew 1, 18 to 25, but we're going to see in this story that peace, while it's there, is kind of elusive and it's rather chaotic, even in this story. So this is really familiar. So what I want you to do is put this lens on as we read it and we study it today. I want you to have this lens of chaos because there's a lot of it in this story. But it doesn't seem like it because you probably know this story and this scripture maybe a little too well. So let's read it. Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. First chaotic circumstance. We got eight verses, eight chaotic circumstances. The first verse, 18. We got premarital pregnancy going on. Okay? Pretty chaotic. But the first sentence starts rather calm. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Sets up so nicely, right? Peaceful. This is going to be great. But then the second sentence is like an episode of the Jerry Springer show. I mean, honestly, if you look at this, I'm not exaggerating. In any culture, at any time, this is pure chaos by anybody's standards. They're engaged, more or less. That's the equivalent in our culture. And she's pregnant. But not with the child of the person she's engaged to. Okay? You see what I mean? But we, but we just read this and we, we don't think much of it. But it, it is crazy. So wrong by anyone's standards. You might be like, well, so what? Joseph, get over it. It happens. Okay? Just break the engagement off and move on. Here's why Joseph can't do that. Let me explain to you their culture a little bit. Premarital unfaithfulness for a Jew at worst meant stoning to death, according to Deuteronomy 22. And at best, it meant divorce. Deuteronomy 24, this was the more civil approach, and this is what most people did. Um, but they were betrothed. They weren't engaged, because you're like, how can you divorce someone that you're not even married to yet? Just, you know, break off the engagement. Well, not so fast, not so easy. Betrothal meant was a binding uh, agreement, and it was way more binding than engagement, so much so that if you, look, if you notice, verse 19 calls Joseph husband already, and they're not technically married yet. That's how binding it is. Which leads to our second form of chaos, contemplation of divorce. Verse 19, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph was obligated to divorce Mary because of these circumstances in one of two ways. He could make it really public, have a public trial where he would accuse her of adultery and everybody in the town would know it, and she would, she would be disgraced. Her reputation would be disgraced for the rest of her life. Or, like it says here, he's a just man, unwilling to put her to shame. You can do a private divorce ceremony with two witnesses. And this would save Mary's reputation at least a little bit. Now, it could have been more chaotic, right? Joseph could have done the public trial shaming thing, and he didn't. Yet, notice the D word is still involved, okay? It's never good when divorce is mentioned in any circumstance. And here it is. And he, he's resolving to do it. He's there. He's going to do it. But then, the next form of chaos, an angel appears. That's crazy. Don't don't go, oh, an angel, it's the Christmas story. No, that doesn't happen to people very often, okay? And when it does, it's insane. So here we go, verse 20. But as he considered these things, considered divorce, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Don't let the familiarity of this story blind you to the chaos. An angel shows up, okay? Anyone ever been... Touched by an angel. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. And I don't think many of us, maybe none of us, have had an angel show up. If you had, cool. God definitely does that. But an angel of the Lord shows up in his dream. Now, angel encounters in the Bible, if you look at them, are, are filled with all sorts of, of fear and people falling to the ground, not able to speak. It's intense, trembling going on here. Now, here's the deal. You might be like, well, it was in his dream, so maybe he was making it up. Maybe it was just, you know, uh, something crazy. You know, I dream up crazy stuff all the time. Maybe you do as well. Maybe it was just that. Maybe it was um, a, a bit of undigested beef or a blot of mustard or a crumb of cheese or a fragment of undone potato. Does anyone know what I'm quoting? Scrooge, yes. Yes, thank you. You had to get Scrooge somewhere in a Christmas message, so thanks for indulging me. But, um, you know, it could, be, it could be something like that. He's just making this up. He had something to eat that just affected what he was dreaming about. That happens, right? Here's how we know that this, this isn't just a dream. First off, Joseph just knew. When an angel of the Lord shows up, there is no question that this is God showing up with his angel. No one's ever confused about an angel showing up in the Bible. Secondly, Joseph took it seriously. He obeyed. He he essentially committed he uh, we're going to talk about this more in a second, but he he essentially committed social suicide in obeying this angel. So Joseph must have been pretty convinced that this was an angel of the Lord. And on top of that, what the angel says to him ends up happening. So we can know that this is an angel of the Lord. So the fourth chaotic circumstance, an angel appears, is the third, fourth. We got Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit. Okay? End of verse 20. Angels talking now. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. An angel reminds Joseph of his lineage. Okay, look at this. He says, son of David. If you missed it, go back last week, watch on Facebook, listen online. Ryan Graydon did a great job with a really boring passage. Okay, but he, did, he made it engaging and we learned some things and, and I was moved by it. So if you didn't hear it, please go back. I've heard that from several people. It's not just me talking here, but... Um, Look at that. But he, we saw that Jesus' lineage includes King David. Now, this angel is clearly trying to calm Joseph's fear just by that line. Because Joseph would have known, as any good Jew at the time would have known, that the Messiah, the Savior, is going to come through the lineage of King David. And so the angel shows up and reminds him, Hey, Joseph, you are in the lineage Of King David. He's saying, You're about to have a boy that is going to be the savior of the world. And then he actually says that, right? You're going to have a son who's the savior of the world. But before he even gets there, he's already alluding to it with him. And he speaks right to Joseph's situation at this very moment. I love this. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. This angel knew. That Joseph had just resolved to divorce Mary. So he speaks right to his fear. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Do not be afraid to do that. Go for it. You've got this. He, he's, I'm going to be, the Lord is going to be with you. You can do this. He, he's bringing him encouragement. And, and this is what God does. God speaks in our lives right to our fear if we'll listen to him. But this is chaotic for two reasons, okay? Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Here's why this is chaotic. The Holy Spirit conceiving a child with a human has never happened before. Secondly, Joseph now has the weighty responsibility of a stand-in father for God. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I had never thought about the Christmas story and Joseph from this angle before, but if you are a father, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, here's a picture of me with my firstborn child, Joy, moments after she was born. And I was excited, but inside I was, I was very afraid. What do I do with this? I, I'm responsible to raise a human being? Now imagine that this child is the son of God. You are now the steward of fathering the best, perfect father ever. Good luck, Joseph. Right? This is why this is chaotic. When he hears this, okay, you are now responsible for my kid, Joseph. Good luck. (laughs) This is crazy. I would. I don't know what I would have done. I, I. Joseph is a better man than I, but he goes for it and does it. He raises this child. You know, the the song, Mary, did you know? Mary did know, by the way, but Joseph knew as well. (laughs) Joseph knew. He knew before the child has even been born that this is the Savior of the world. This is God's Son. Okay, fifth form of chaos. This baby is a Savior. This baby is a Savior. I don't know if you've... Had a baby of your own before, but I can't imagine a baby doing much of anything, much less saving the world. But yet, verse 21 She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Why Jesus? Well, it actually tells us here's why the name Jesus it says, For he will save. The name Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Joshua or Yeshua. And that name means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. Yahweh was, was the name for God that in the Old Testament was not supposed to be uttered because it, it was so holy and reverent. It was the covenantal name of God. This is the name of God that, that, that sets him apart from any other so-called deity this is, this is a God who is sovereignly in control, yet cares intimately. and so, He's so holy and so great and so loving that we, we can't even say his name. And it was common for Jewish boys at this time to be named Jesus. Because it, it was, they would name their kids this in hope and anticipation of the Savior coming. But here's the thing. This Jesus, this baby boy... Is actually the Savior. But not just, not a Savior like a lot of them thought. They, they wanted the, the Savior to come and, over, and, and, and overpower the Roman rulership at the time. That's what they wanted. But Jesus was bringing a much more important, powerful salvation. This baby was the Savior from sin, 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 the barrier between God and man, ever since Adam and Eve took the fruit in the garden, will be taken care of by this baby? Sin, the the robber of true peace and joy with God, will be taken care of by this baby? Sin, the culprit, the culprit, behind all of the chaos in our world, uh, all of the chaos you've experienced in 2020, the culprit behind that, sin, will be taken care of. By this baby, an unborn child at this point, fully God, fully man, would grow up, live and die a brutal death by crucifixion. Why? To take care of mankind's greatest problem, sin. How chaotically beautiful is that. Sixth, chaotic circumstance. An Old Testament prophecy was fulfilled, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here's why this is absurd. He's quoting Isaiah 7.14. Here's what you need to know about Isaiah 7.14. It was written 700 years 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. Now, a lot of people will say, well, you know, when Jesus fulfilled prophecies, he just read the Old Testament for himself and then tried to fulfill them. So it looked like he was fulfilling 700-year-old prophecies. Here's the problem with that. Jesus is still in the womb at this point. And this prophecy is that the virgin will bear a son. His earthly hands had nothing to do with it. Jesus couldn't manipulate that circumstance, at least as a human. But we all know God was working all of this out to fulfill prophecy so we could stand here in 2020 and go, wow. <laughs> there is no explanation except this is the Savior of the world. The seventh chaotic circumstance Joseph obeyed the angel. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the name of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. Against his previous decision and all societal norms, he doesn't divorce his wife. Like I said earlier, he is setting himself up for ridicule. At, at best, he's setting himself up for a little ridicule from people who believed him that they had not had intercourse yet. And at worst, and this is probably most people, he was setting himself up for people to not believe him and therefore label him a liar and a fornicator. This is pretty chaotic that Joseph then went forward and obeyed. He listened to the angel. The eighth chaotic circumstance... Joseph and Mary abstained, verse 25, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Most thought, most modern thought especially, would say, hey, she's pregnant, let's just go for it. It's rather insane insane that they had the self-control to abstain after this. But here's what Joseph and Mary knew. They both, you see in Luke, they both were encountered by God. And while the the details probably weren't clear, probably was a little fuzzy to them, they understood the gravity of of what was happening enough to go, okay, we are not going to give anyone any opportunity to say this isn't what it is. This is actually God bursting on the scene in humanity, and we don't want to muddy those waters at all. I think they understood that. So there we go. There's some chaos in the Christmas story. Merry Christmas. Have a good day. No, we're not going to stop there. I'm going to tell you about our chaos this year. Not that I need to, but I'll, I'll just fly through these. Here's Here's eight chaotic circumstances in 2020 that I can just about guarantee all of us have experienced or at least been affected by. First, the obvious COVID-19 sickness and death. No matter where you're at with this stuff, it's clear that lots of people have gotten sick and lots of people have died. Secondly, restrictions. Here we are sitting in church with masks, distancing from one another. Things have been canceled right and left. Chaos. Chaos. Thirdly, isolation. Many of us have experienced isolation, even more so than normal, kind of forced isolation, and it hasn't produced good things in most of us, if we're honest. Fourth, financial hardship. Maybe that's not you, but I'm, I'm certain you know someone or at least some organization or something you're part of that's been financially hit. Fifth, relational tensions. There's always relational tensions, right? That would be true in any year. There's especially been relational tensions going on in our country and in our world right now, certainly in your life as well. And then political tension. Usually a presidential election year, is chaotic but this one I, I, I think we would all agree was especially chaotic right especially tense no matter where you stand it was it was chaotic and then seventh the derecho all of us were affected by that if even if you're like me and your your property doesn't have any trees on it your neighbor was or people you know so you, you helped out and it, it just created a level of chaos and the eighth form of chaos you can insert for yourself your specific form of chaos. I'm sure you have one that you could add. Here's the hope, though. What seems chaotic to us isn't to God. He wasn't surprised by any of that chaos in the Christmas story, and he wasn't surprised by any of the chaos in your life this year. And that should give us profound joy and hope. Because when we think that things are just crazy, like how could anything good come from this? God is working it out. Look look at Galatians 4. I have it on the screen. 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. At just the right time. You can read the Christmas story with the lens that we just did and go, wow, that was terrible. Or you can go, wow, all of that chaos is going to be turned into peace and goodness by God. Because at just the right time, he did this. I can't wait to see what he's going to do. And we get to see that. We're on the right side of history here, thankfully. And we, get, we got to see How Jesus brought peace out of that circumstance. But what about 2020? Our chaos in 2020 was just the way God planned. And that is hard to even say. Because it doesn't feel like it. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Certainly didn't feel good, but it is. It's for our good. Every chaotic thing that's happened to you in 2020, God wants to use to make you more like Jesus, and becoming more like Jesus is not fun a lot of the time, but it's good. And it's for his good, right? That's actually secondary, our good, his good. It's about God, him being honored, him being praised. He's using it, even when we don't know why. God offers peace out of and in the chaos. And I want to show you in this story, because I skimmed right over it, I want to show you in this story how he brings peace out of chaos. Look back at verse 21 with me. Matthew 1, 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Here's the source of peace. The power of Jesus. The power of Jesus to save us from our sin. Both initially, when we trust in him for the first time, and and then after that, to help us battle sin. And experience peace with him. The power of Jesus in us through the Holy Spirit. Not just to battle sin though, but to give us strength to enjoy peace within, Even in the chaos of 2020. The second source of peace is the presence of Jesus. Verse 23. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. God with us. The presence of Jesus with us. For them, it would have been a breath of fresh air for, those, for Joseph and Mary and for those who came to realize it. There was 400 years of silence. There was 400 years before the Old Testament and New Testament where they hadn't heard from God directly. And maybe for you, You've had days, weeks, months, maybe even years of perceived silence from God in your life. And here's what I want to tell you today. His personal, loving, active presence is right here with you today. Whether you feel it or not. Jesus' presence is the peace that we all crave And desire and long for. Yet if we're honest. Even for us who are followers of Jesus. His power and his presence. Giving us Jesus' peace still seems elusive some days. Doesn't it? What do we do with that? What do we do with that? When we know that Jesus is the savior of the world. Who is Emmanuel God with us. But yet. It doesn't seem very peaceful. Here's what we do. You have a decision every day, every moment of the day, to choose chaos or to pursue the peace of Christ. Isaiah 26.3, Amanda shared it earlier. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You have a choice all the time. You can choose chaos by focusing your mind and your thoughts on the circumstances around you. Here's how you do that. Here's how you choose chaos. It's not by actually doing something. It's by doing nothing. Your thoughts, when they run unchecked and wild, as they often do, as mine often do, here's what I'm choosing. Here's what you're choosing. Chaos. It takes no effort to choose chaos no one at least very few people not very often say I am going to to choose chaos today I really want some nah we just let everything around us affect and infect us so we can do that Choose chaos or we can pursue peace. Here's how you do that. You focus your mind and your thoughts on Jesus. Sounds maybe oversimplistic, but it's not simplistic. It's beautiful. Pastor Craig Groeschel said this, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your strongest thoughts. It's not that you won't ever think about the chaos around you. In fact, I think that's a, that's a bad idea. We need to be aware of what's happening around us, and we'll certainly think about it, and we should think critically about things happening around us, particularly chaotic things. But our strongest thoughts should be focused on Christ. And that's an everyday battle, to focus our strongest thoughts on Jesus. Now, how do we do that? There's a million different ways to do that. But I want to give you one simple suggestion. Do what Amanda is, is trying to do right now and has done in the past. Have Isaiah 26.3 ready to go. Maybe in your mind, memorize it. Maybe you write it down, put it on your mirror, on your dashboard. Maybe you put it as a banner on your phone. I don't know, but put it in front of you. And then talk to Jesus about it when your strongest thar- thoughts start to become more focused on the chaos than on Jesus and go, okay, here's what I know is true. Perfect peace can come from you. This verse says so. You keep God, I know you can keep me in perfect peace right now even though I'm not there. Even though my thoughts are not on you, my strongest thoughts are not on you, I want them to be on you, Jesus. So help me, help me, help me, help my thoughts to be on you. This all sounds great. You might be sitting here going, you know, Matt, that's cool. But peace often feels awkward. Weird to me. I get that. Like when you when you have those moments of really experiencing Christ's peace and taking your thoughts captive and having your strongest thoughts on him, it feels a little weird. Here's why I think we let chaos become our norm in our thoughts. I think most of us are scared, actually, of the unknown, barely touched piece of Christ that he offers us. I think we're a little scared of it. It's more normal to have chaos going on in our thought life. So we run. I think another reason is that our culture has trained us that hurried, busy, anxious, afraid thoughts are home. This is where you should be. They don't say it like that, but that's what they say. Even when we taste and enjoy God's peace and, and start to move into that home, we're, we're tempted to, to go back and move into that home that we know is a terrible place to live, but yet we're drawn to it like moths to a flame. I think another reason we <laughs> find Jesus' peace to be a little awkward or uncomfortable sometimes is that it, for some of us, it seems too good to be true. Right? Where's the angle? When's the gavel going to drop? You've had, you've had sources of peace in your life that you've run to, and they just let you down. When's the betrayal coming? Ultimately, though, I think we find peace a little awkward sometimes because we don't trust him. It's the last line of Isaiah 26.3 says, because he trusts in you. We don't trust that Jesus is actually as satisfying as he says he is. We don't trust that Jesus is actually as good as he says he is we don't trust that Jesus can give us the peace that we actually long for and crave. So here here's the invitation. Here's the invitation during Christmas this year and all of the time and we have this choice all the time is to to trust Jesus He's saying trust me trust that Jesus is peace, is what you've been looking for all along. Whether it's for the first time, maybe you haven't trusted in Christ, maybe it's for the first time, or maybe for the millionth time, trust him. Why trust him? Why would I trust him? Other people in my life have let me down. Trusted him before and he let me down. At least it seemed like it. Why trust him? Here's why. Every person in your life, hear me well. If you're you're checking out, listen right now, okay? Every person in your life that you've ever trusted has not earned the amount of trust that Jesus has. Here's how I can prove that. He earned your love. He you can trust him because he came to earth as a baby, he was God. Still God, but he, he, in all of his greatness and glory, humbled himself by becoming a baby. But he didn't stop there, right? He grew up, he lived a perfect life that we should have lived, but didn't because we're sinners. But then he died on a cross, died by crucifixion. But then he rose from the dead. He didn't stop there. He rose from the dead to give us the Holy Spirit, to give us empowerment, to give us Emmanuel, God with us. If you're married, you have more reason to trust Jesus than even your spouse. That's how trustworthy he is. He died for you. You can trust him. And then we need to let that trust Propel us to pursue peace instead of choosing chaos. Let that trust propel us to focus our strongest thoughts on Jesus instead of on the chaos around us. Now let me remind you of Amanda's ending today. It's on the screen. During this season of unrest and unknowns, I'm constantly faced with challenging decisions Selfish ambitions and anxious thoughts, but I'm learning the art of stilling my heart, calming my mind, and looking for what God is doing during life's stormy chaos as I embrace this simple truth. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Here's what I love about that ending a man is still in process, and so am I. And so are you. So even though what I just preached to you and called you to do, taking your thoughts captive, having your strongest thoughts focused on Christ, here's the deal. Even on your worst day of taking your thoughts captive, guess what? Jesus is still Emmanuel, God with you. That's the hope of Christ at Christmas. That even when we fail at pursuing peace and let the chaos overwhelm us, he's still with us. That's the Jesus that we can trust and enjoy each and every day, each and every moment of the day. Let's pray.